Uh, yeah, let me, let me have a word of prayer and we'll get stuck into the sermon. Dear Father in heaven, we just thank you for the absolutely beautiful day um, that we could call the Sabbath here today and just enjoy time with each other, fellowshipping with each other and fellowshipping with you, worshipping you, Lord, through the music, through the giving back to you, um, through, through discussing mission, through discussing your love uh, to each of us but also to the entire world. Um, and Lord, uh, we just want to bask in your presence through your Holy Spirit here today. That Lord, that you're touching the very depths of our heart um, in a very significant and special way. And as we talk about this motif that comes through your word, Lord, that, that it just guides us into a deeper relationship with you. Lord, <clears throat> um, we pray that you remove any distractions that we might have and that you just bless us completely and utterly with your Holy Spirit descending onto our hearts. We pray this in your wonderful, blessed name, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> one of the, the... There's a lot of difficult things about ministry, but one of the best things about ministry is, is, is marriage, is weddings, is young love, proposals... Uh, uh, all these sorts of things, and, and I've, had, I've had the blessing to, to officiate um, uh, one of the young men's uh, marriages here today, um, and I look forward to, there's, a, there's one coming up in December, and there's another one, a very special one coming up later on um, in the year, well they're all very special, but later on next year I think it is and, and it's just a wonderful thing, it's actually something that I look forward to and I, there's things about ministry that drain me but weddings and marriages and things like that actually fill me with more energy and so I really enjoy that and, the, and we've got a couple of books out in the, in the pastor's room there that I like to sort of peruse a little bit because they actually tell me some interesting information of weddings that have been done here in the past. And there's a number of people, as I look around, their names are in those books um, of people that have been married here in this church by various other pastors and so on and so forth. But it is the very best thing, for me anyway, about ministry and marriage is this really intimate relationship that, that two human beings can have and, and experience with one another. And that's why this type of intimacy or this type of relationship that human beings have with one another uh, or, or can enjoy uh, in marriage that makes it such this, this interesting little window into the type of God that God is or the very character of God and a window into the purpose or the goal that God actually has for you and for me. And I understand, and I just want to take a brief moment to pause here, not all of us have had a wonderful experience with marriage, not all of us have had a great relationship, whether, whether we've looked on into a marriage or we've been a part of one. And so when I speak about marriage today, and, and, and in terms of the context of God and marriage... I acknowledge, yes, there is faults and failures of, 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 of human, humans today and that that has had an effect on marriage. But I also want you to recognise that when God talks about marriage and his marriage or relation to us, he's talking about the perfect context. It's very interesting how God sometimes references himself to us, whether that's through the differing of his names through the Old Testament, through the adjectives that go coincide with God Almighty or God this or God that, 
But if you've got your Bibles, let's quickly turn to Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5 to 6. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5 to 6. And in Isaiah chapter 54, God says this to describe the type of relationship that he wants to have with his creation. Okay, so he says this. He says this. He says, for, uh, uh, sorry, for your maker is your what? For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth, he is called. And this marriage metaphor God uses actually over and over again, referencing the type or the quality of relationship that God wants to have with you and have with human beings. Once again, acknowledging that there are, in, in, in some of our experiences here today, I'm sure there's a number of us right here today that have experienced a failing marriage or a faulted marriage, a flawed marriage or a faulted marriage. But this, that's not God's ideal. And when God speaks about being a husband or in a marriage context, he's talking about the ideal. The verse continues, uh, it continues in verse, uh, uh, verse 6. He says this, For the Lord has called you like a what? Like a what? Like a wife. Deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. So here is God through the prophet Isaiah. He's inviting us to feel feelings, inviting us to think thoughts of a woman who has been jilted, a woman, a youthful woman who has experienced rejection, a wife who has experienced rejection from her husband. Feeling feelings of a woman who has been jilted by her partner. And God, through the prophet Isaiah, wants us to pause just for a moment and feel what that feels like. What does it feel like to love and not be loved in return? What does it feel like to give yourself entirely to somebody else but that other person does not reciprocate? What does it feel like in holy matrimony or holy marriage, only to be rejected by the one that you gave yourself to. This should bring up our emotions. And what I would estimate as being one of the most painful experiences a human being can ever experience. For me personally, and I know I don't speak this from experience... And so take it as such, but I'd probably rather, actually I feel certain that I'd rather be diagnosed with cancer than have my wife Kelly tell me that she no longer loves me. That's for me. I, I don't speak that from experience and if you have had cancer, I apologise or, or maybe you can relate to that, but I, I'm, I'm almost certain that I'd rather have the doctor come to me and tell me, Cameron, you've got cancer, than my wife Kelly to say, Cameron, I don't love you, I'm leaving. And God is saying, I'm calling you to myself like, a, like that woman. 
Like that woman forsaken and grieved, I'm calling you to myself like a young woman who has been refused by her husband. I'm going to be your husband, but I'm going to be a faithful husband. I'm going to be faithful to you in ways that he was not faithful to you. Do you hear what God is saying here? Do you see the contrast of experience, the juxtaposition between experience where God is vowing or covenanting himself to being faithful like a good husband to you and to me? I hazard a guess that we've probably all experienced unfaithfulness. Broken relationships to love and not be loved in return and God says, you know what, I love you. I love you faithfully. I will be there for you. My love for you will be eternal, never to be broken, and you can depend upon it. Isn't that a fascinating, fascinatingly beautiful and profound thing, that the God of the universe wants to be in that kind of a relationship with you and I? In Hosea chapter 2, verse 19 to 20, God prophetically speaks and once again using this marriage motif, he says this, he says, I will betroth you to me for how long? For a couple of days? For a week? For a year? Forever. I'll betroth you to me forever. The context is that we as human beings know what it's like to be loved and not to be loved in return. And we know what it's like to love and not have that love return to us and have that love in fact violated. But God says, I'll betroth you to me forever. Yes, I'll betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. That's to say, when you know what it's like to be loved faithfully, that you will know that the type, that you will know the type of God that I am, the kind of God that I am. When you experience from me faithfulness, you will know that that's the type of God I am, and that you were created to experience true and faithful love that is never ever violated. You will know. But let's have a look at that last line. I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Let's look at that last line of knowing the Lord. Well, the Hebrew word for know is yadah. Yadah. And in the context of the verses in the Bible that it is used, it's usually used to describe, in fact, a sexual intimacy between two people. For example, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And Adam knew, or Yadah, Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore her first child, Cain. This is this vulnerability or this openness, uh, this, this closeness that two people can, can have that they can't get any closer of knowing each other in this sexual union of a husband and a wife. That is what Yadah means. And God says that the relationship that exists between a husband and a wife and that which you know is the most intimate relationship that two human beings can ever have, that they cannot get any closer either physically, emotionally or mentally, 
God says, I want to have that relationship with you. That, sim- that symbolically, metaphorically uh, uh, imagery is intimate. It is like the closeness of the love of a husband and a wife, both, uh, both in mind and heart in this union together. And God is using that sexual union of a married man and a married woman as this metaphor or symbol for this spiritual union that he desires to have with each of us. In fact, the Apostle Paul grabs hold of that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 to 32. He recognizes this because he knows the Old Testament, he knows the Scriptures, and he brings that forth in Ephesians, and he says, For this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a direct quote from Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 describing the union between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. And for the whole chapter, Paul is speaking it to husbands and wives and encouraging them into a loving, fulfilling marriage with one another. But just for a moment, just for a moment, he decides to use it for a greater analogy. Because the very next verse, he says this. He says, this is a great mystery or a deep secret truth. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. He's been talking about husbands and wives. He's talking about males and females and how they relate together. And he goes, hang on, stop for a moment. I want to, I want to take that and use it as a bigger analogy just for a verse. Just, just humor me for a verse. And he goes, this is that, a great mystery, deep secret truth. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. That any man that gives himself to a woman or any woman that gives herself to a man, that this is a great deep secret truth and that there is something going on here that points to something much deeper something more profound than simply marriage itself marriage points us to something leads us to something about God's purpose for the human race and as we move forward in the biblical narrative of the uh, the Bible story we come to Revelation chapter 19 verse 6 to 8 And we read this in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6 to 8. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready, and to her it is granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Notice the power and the authority that the verse begins with, or the section begins with, and we often focus on that, and we pause there and we think think to ourselves, oh, that's really cool, God is powerful, God is omnipotent. To be in a relationship with God, a God that is so powerful, fantastic. I need to be clear because maybe I can tap into that power. Maybe that power is going to be handy or useful to me. Maybe I can benefit some way because I'm so close to God who is all powerful. But you notice that the power and the authority, the throne, all of that comes secondary. It gives way to God's ultimate objective and the real goal of God being head over heels in love with you and in love with me is his ultimate goal. 
Jesus loves us and he's inviting us into this love relationship with himself. And he says, I'm your husband, you are my bride. Marriage points to something above itself. Marriage points to this deep, secret union. A mysterious closeness for fallen yet redeemed human beings. And so God is inviting you. God is inviting me. In the plan of salvation, not merely to be saved from sin, God, through the metaphor of marriage, is inviting us to fall in love. Fall in love with him. Well, how does he invite us to fall in love with him? How does, how does that happen? How does the process take place? Well, it's very similar to how two people fall in love today. How do two people fall in love today? Well, you've got basically five areas of that. Five sections. The introduction, the courtship, the engagement, the wedding and the marriage. The introduction, obviously, is, is, this is this is God incarnate as flesh. Jesus comes into the world and he seeks to attract our attention. And for the modern people to get today, for those of us who, who are millennials or whatever it is, the younger, he makes his move. He befriends them on Facebook. He asks for their Snapchat, whatever you want to call it. And he does that by being good to us, by loving us, by healing us, by restoring us. And Jesus makes his divine overture of love, his divine move. And as we begin to see his love, we might begin to respond. And then we enter into this courtship phase of the relationship with Jesus. And just like any courtship, there is a discovery to get to know more about God. And here Jesus reveals more of his character of love, wooing us, loving us, sharing with us, saying, I love you like this, I love you like that. And as we learn more and more about how God loves each of us, we might realize that there is Jesus there on bended knee, proposing to us with a ring in hand, saying, will you marry me? And if we say yes, it leads us to the engagement where we're preparing for that day, where we commit our lives to him. And when that day finally arrives, we get the joyous day of a wedding. And through that wonderful act of baptism, we respond to Jesus' faithfulness and public knowledge of our commitment to him through through the act of baptism. But the wedding is not the end. Just like baptism isn't the end of the journey, but the beginning of a new life in marriage. And then we have the marriage and the joys of life lived with Jesus with the expectation of his soon return, all the while sharing with the world, with those around us, the joys of being married to a God that is faithful, a God that cares for us, a God that is intimately invested and interested in us. And we, interested in and invested in his interests, And the question is, will you undertake this journey of love? Or maybe you're on that journey of love. A journey that begins with the wonderful story of God's great act of love through the gospel message. 
that God in Christ became human, lived that perfect life of love, died of that perfect sacrifice of love, was resurrected and victorious over sin and ascended to the throne of the universe at the right hand of the Father, where he awaits eagerly for our response to the question of our relationship with him. And Revelation 21 Verse 1 to 3 points prophetically to a time where he will return. And it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and women. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. This little planet of rebellion, this little planet of earth, fallen human race, the lowest of the low, sinners that have turned away from God, are those upon whom God has set his heart with unrelenting, passionate love that is wooing us back into a relationship with himself, bringing us back into union with him, the matrimonial union between Christ and his people. His church living forever together in the new Jerusalem of husband and wife in a beautiful ultimate sense of relational intimacy that is beyond our comprehension. And according to what we've just read in the Revelation, the city of Jerusalem or the city of the newlyweds, this new Jerusalem will descend onto this earth and God himself will dwell with us here on planet earth, an earth made new. The planet earth will be the centre of the universe and God himself will be here with us. God in Christ is on bended knee. Proposing eternal matrimonial union between himself and us. And it is our privilege or our opportunity to say yes to that proposal and to become the bride of Christ. And in so doing, we will know a relationship with God, a closeness with God, an intimacy with God that is more near to the heart of God than anything else in the universe. That's the invitation. It is not merely God's purpose to save us. It is so much more to live with us for all eternity with benevolent love. And we will know a relationship with God through Christ that is close as close can be. Not only will we be redeemed we will be the bride of Christ. And this is the great mystery that Paul describes. Can you conceive of a more wonderful relational destiny for you? Is there anything in this world that can compare to what God is offering in Christ? God and us in a loving, faithful union for all eternity. That is the invitation for you and for me. And my hope... And my prayer is that your answer to Jesus being on bended knee is yes. My answer 
to Jesus is yes. And in the light of the love or his love for you and me, in the deepest part of your heart, say yes to the proposal of Jesus to be his bride forever. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, what strong imagery that you bring forward with with the marriage motif, the marriage subject throughout the Bible. And yes, we live in a fallen world with a sinful humanity. And when we look at marriage here today, we see possibly anything but perfection. But Lord, when you talk about marriage, you talk about the faithful covenant, complete love, complete union between yourself and humanity. And Lord, that is the perfect marriage. And when we see that picture of Jesus on the cross, dying, bleeding, for each of us, bearing our sins, bearing our pains. Really, that's Jesus on bended knee with a ring in hand, asking each of us in the depth of our heart, will you marry me? And Lord, my prayer is that each of us here respond with a yes. We respond with a yes, saying, yes, Lord, we will be your bride. Yes, Lord, we will marry you. Yes, Lord, we will be in a relationship with you for eternity. And that it's not just about saving us. It's about what comes along with the relationship. Knowing that you are intimately invested in each of us. And as we grow in that relationship, Lord, we, we begin to understand that, Lord, your interests are others as well and that our interests align with yours and that our investment aligns with yours and that we too approach others with the same offer that you have had to us and we present you to others saying that you are on bended knee offering marriage to others. So Lord, we thank you for that beautiful motif, that beautiful subject, that beautiful illustration of a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that we respond in the affirmative, we respond with a yes, and that we can then become the example to those around us. I pray this in your wonderful blessed name, Jesus. Amen.